Welcome to Crime and Reason on TalkZone, bringing you the backstory in high-profile crimes that television leaves out. Now, here are the hosts of Crime and Reason, John Kelly and Leo Badenhausen. Welcome back, everybody, to Crime and Reason. I'm Leo Battenhausen. Good evening. I'm John Kelly. I hope you're all well, and thanks for tuning in. Yeah, thanks for tuning in and coming back. We, uh, John, we've got some really bizarre stories of evil tonight to cover, two major stories. And um, you can't make this stuff up. And these truly are really disturbed me reading about these crimes. Not that all crimes don't disturb me, but these two particularly sickened me. Yeah, bizarre, bizarre, Leo, to be honest with just putting it mildly. I, well, I mean, I guess, I think, but, you know, I, can't I just... Can't make this stuff up. I mean, you know, it, it, this is crime and reason, and I really want to look at the reason behind these crimes today as much as we can with what information we have. I want, you know, we're going to start with the case, the case of Jeremy Myers. And, yeah, uh, yeah, Jeremy Myers, this uh, Fort Lewis soldier... A private, as you brought out, received a lengthy sentence for killing his wife in a bizarre murder plot. Bizarre <laughs> is not the word, John. I mean, <laughs> well, yeah. I, I think he, he, go ahead. Yeah, he, he killed his wife, you know, to spend more time with his teenage girlfriend who was all of 15 years old. Right. And at the time, I believe he was 21. The girl, though, they have to be, to be fair to Jeremy, like that matters, he, the girl who was 15 was one of the regulars that like hung around the army barracks and base in it. This was in Washington state. And she was, she lied about her age, um, all the time. I think she told him he, she was 17. So, but the truth of the matter was she was a 15 year old girl. And right. He met her after being married to Jessica Lynn. For approximately two years, and he had a they had a baby together, Jessica Lynn. But let's back this up a bit. Um, Jeremy met Jessica in, in, in the army area, the army town where she lived, and he was a a private at um a station or a barracks, I should say, for like the the flunky army recruits. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, this this guy definitely was no brain surgeon. I mean, <laughs> man, right. when I. I look at this story, and as we're bringing it out, I'm sure the audience is going to say, wow, this guy was like, you know, stupid, extremely stupid in one way, but extremely manipulative in another way. The people that listened to him and followed him, I mean, they must have IQs of like 20 or something. I mean, to be manipulated and mesmerized, I think, is the word by this guy. And that's right. And they, his, his, his minions are lackeys and we're going to get to who they are and why they kind of followed him. But they were all in this flunky barrack base too. These were like for the soldiers who were underperformers. Now, I don't know how any of these guys passed the psychological test to get into the United States Army, but they did. And, um, they were allowed weapons and guns and, you know, as far as I know, all privileges of being, um, a military person in the United States, but they were dumb and they couldn't get it. So they put them in this, you know, kind of a rehab barracks where a very strict of this discipline where they had them, uh, 
you know, mopping floors and cleaning guns and this kind of thing. So this is where he picked up his friends or his uh, his uh, his following of lackeys. So he meets Jessica, and you know, the, Jessica's mother and family had some concerns about Jeremy because they said he really didn't. He would look at the mother for her expressions to respond with him, his own expressions when things were said about him and, and Jessica. Like he had no way of, of expressing himself on his own. He waited for other people's cues, which is very interesting. Um, so she had some concerns with him. And they, they, you know, they got married very quickly after two months of courting. Mother had reservations, but she went along with it. And at the wedding, he's making statements like, she, they, they, the family called it like a complete transformation of his character. He's saying things like, I am the king now. She, that girl, she is now mine. She is mine. I am in control. And from that day on, he was in control. He made her life miserable, John. Yeah, see, this is, this is the pathological narcissist who is also a psychopath. I mean, because psychopaths don't have a clue on what a feeling is, okay? Right. They wouldn't no. know a feeling if they tripped over it. So what this guy does is he plays off other people. He watches the way other people react, and then he reacts in a way that's going to serve him good purpose. And usually it's in a manipulative way. In other words, oh, yeah, we're all lovey-dovey, and this is terrific and everything. But when I marry her in the back of his mind, when I marry her, I'm the king, I'm the boss, I'm in complete control. And that's exactly what this guy did. I mean, you know, he killed her only, what, two, three weeks after she gave birth? Yeah, yeah. Yes, indeed, but we're getting to that. But So he meets, so the marriage is a complete, it's a complete control issue. But this girl, Jessica, I guess, she, I don't want to insult the victim, but I don't know how she followed along with this or why she put up with this man. But he had her under, you know, on a very short leash. And if she didn't obey, she would get the wrath from him, at least verbally. I don't know about physically. But then a baby comes. He's got no interest in this kid. I think at the, in, the, in the meantime, he's, he's screwing around with the 15-year-old. Sure. So, you know, why would a narcissist don't care about kids? So then now he's like, oh, I got this kid. I got this mm. wife I don't want. I want this 15-year-old who's given him the best sex he's ever had in his life. All right? So what does he do? He, he gets his minions together from the dope camp, and he comes up with something he calls the Federation, John. Yeah, yeah. He put the Federation together. I mean, this yeah. is... See, this is really part of his manipulation that he constructs, you know, this organization. Now, none none the, of this is real. I want to tell right, let the listeners yeah. know. This is yeah. all him talking. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, this stealthy kind of organization uh, that is going to go out and is going to protect the good people of the United States and the good people of the world, but it's going to punish the bad people of the world and they're going to kill and rob and take money off the drug lords and the pushers right. and dealers out there. They, were they, they claimed they were going to rid the world of criminals. He even was uh, said to have you know, part of what he told these lackeys and his, um, his then wife is that they killed three to 4,000 people already down in Florida 
over drugs. And these are special <laughs> missions, special missions he goes out on. But yeah. he was really constructing these these lackeys of his were buying into this, and they, you know, he had, I think he only had about five or six of them. But they were having meetings at the house, and he had a, this big insignia on the wall. This guy's really <laughs> twisted, and none of it's right. So what does he do? He wants to get rid of his wife. Now, some people say he created this federation to to start to, to facilitate the murder plot. So he tell, he starts telling his wife that they're, the federation or their enemies are after her and her family. So... You know, they're going to kill them. They're, they're targeting her and the family and he's very concerned and he wants to protect her and the family. So they have to kill her. Yeah. They have to pretend like she's dead. They're in the right. He said, I'm going to, we have a, you know, the Federation, we have a special way of, of, I've done this before. He told her, I'm going to kill you and we're going to bring you back to life. And they're going to then, then the enemies of the Federation are going to think that you're dead. But you're going to be fine, and your family's going to be fine after that. <laughs> yeah, he just wanted her to drink the potion. He had some right. kind of potion concocted. He did, and the plan was he was going to take her to a bar, have her drink the potion, and have her and set her up with a guy at the bar, so he would take her home and do whatever he wanted to her, and he would uh, eventually get the blame for killing her. Okay, okay so this is this this guy's twisted mind. Okay, she's believing this, and she's following him right along. She's been so well-groomed by this guy that she'll do whatever he says. Now, she's thinking in her mind, she's going to die, and when I come back, everything's going to be all right. And she even told him, please take care of the baby while I'm gone until I get back. How sad is that? So anyway, this the, the, the bar scene backfired because what happened was she did leave with a sergeant. This was another place where the army people hung out. She left with a sergeant. They went to his car, and he saw that the girl was, like, passing out and very sick, and he wanted to help her. He didn't take advantage of her like this guy ex- expected he would. He mm. took her home, and it didn't work. She got really sick and, you know, vomited and this and that and the other thing, but it didn't work. So uh, it's Jeremy strike one on the death, the, the, the death plan. His potion didn't work. But that wasn't enough. Yeah, let's bring in an accomplice. I want to. I, w- I want somebody else to come up with something else on how to kill her. So let me have uh, one of my friends strangle her. Uh oh. Even Uh-oh. though he's in the Federation, he's not taking my orders. He can't do it. Mm-hmm. So pl- round two. What am I going to do now? You know. No, then he starts telling you know, that didn't work, and they're still coming after us. So the next plan is to have his friend, like you said, strangle her. And stage a robbery scene around her car. So off they go to a parking garage somewhere down by the seaport. And the girl's in the front seat. Jeremy's in the back seat. The friend is in the passenger seat. He gives the first it was a Jeremy. He picks up a uh, what do they call those plastic uh, ties? You know, those those ties, zip ties, yeah, zip ties. Yeah, okay. yeah. Try to put it over her head. Yeah, it wouldn't fit. Uh, he put it over his head. He, he pulled it as tight as he can, but he didn't realize that they they pop. Sure. <laughs> it didn't work again. Oh, boy, okay, so now this guy's like, you've got to do it, he says to his friend. I can't do it. Go get a bungee cord. Meanwhile, the kid, the little the little two or six week old is in the back seat of this car. Okay, that's how sick he is. Yeah, unbelievable. So he makes the friend go get a bungee cord. The guy comes back. 
he starts trying to strangle the girl. And he's like, I can't do this. I cannot do it. So he gives it to Jeremy, and, he, and Jeremy uh, completed the deed. Okay, and they dumped out all of her pocketbook on the trunk of uh, on the hood of the car, and leave the girl there dead. Take the baby, and off they go in the second car they brought with them. Yeah, and she's a willing participant in this. She doesn't yeah, really a- understand what this guy's going to do to her, but she wants to go along with him to fake her death because it's what he wants to somehow placate or get the Federation off his back or off their tail or what. I, I don't know. I don't see anything in there about how she was going to disappear after they faked her death. I mean, where was she going to go? Move like uh, 2,000 miles away or something with the baby or something? I mean, I, I don't understand. It's pretty, pretty crazy. Well, she, you know, you got to really question this this girl's, you know, mental her capacity. IQ, her IQ. I guess. I mean, and I do think this guy has a potential, and he the potential to be a, a cult leader of sorts. So I look at him. He I mean, is. He is exactly he, right. And this girl was that drawn into this kind of monster that she would believe that she's going to be a mother, a mother of a baby, that I'm going to be able to. My husband is going to kill me and bring me back to life to save me and my family from being murdered by. The Federation's enemies. You can't even believe this is what happens in today's world. But then again, yes, you can. Yeah. Now, <laughs> the other the other side of this is this is the crime. But you hit the nail on the head as far as the reason goes. This guy's on his way up to be a cult leader. He is a cult leader. He's the president of the Federation. He's falling right in line with David Koresh. Jim Jones, Charlie Manson. Yeah, yeah. All pathological, narcissistic megalomaniacs. Now, for the audience out there who does not know, for the people who do not know what a megalomaniac is, that is somebody that derives a lot of pleasure for having complete control over groups of people. For instance, even Saddam Hussein was a megalomaniac. Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler was a megalomaniac, okay? This guy's falling right in line. I mean, he, this is what he wants to be. This is all he's interested in. His narcissism is feeding off this fame, power, and control. And he doesn't care about his wife. He doesn't care his child's going to grow up without a mother. I mean, this is how sick this guy is. And mind you, too, John, before he did this, he did take out a $100,000 life insurance policy <laughs> on her, you know, and he they found well, what they did that when they got to the crime scene, they knew it was staged. The cops, it was it took two seconds to figure out that this was not a real robbery. They found her three days later. Um, you know, after he, he went home and he called the girl's mom and said, has, is, is, uh, Jessica there? And she's like, no. And uh, I haven't seen her. He goes, I haven't seen her. She left at midnight last night to go to the store. She never came home. And meanwhile, this is the following day. The mother says to him, did you call the police? No. Did you call any <laughs> hospitals? No. I called you. So, you know, she's like, call the police now and call the hospitals now. And then they got together to put flyers all over the place. He really had no interest in doing that. Completely detached from it. But the cops, I forget how they, but they linked them. I think they, they had to put two and two together. 
but the cops go to the, the site and there's like a, there's cash and credit cards in the wallet. Nothing's taken. It's just strewn about very amateurish, uh, setup. But, um, you know, you talk about narcissism. What, why is this though? He, he, he also bought tickets to, uh, I guess he was planning on going AWOL with the 15 year old. He bought tickets to, uh, some island somewhere to take the girl to. They found that in his, uh, belongings. So he was planning on getting that a Dodge. But why do, this guy reminds me of, a of, a Scott Peterson. Like, why don't these guys exactly. consider divorce? Right, right, what, right. what about, where's divorce in this? You know, if you don't want the wife and the kid and you want to go for the 15 year old illegal, why don't you just get divorced? Why because you, you won't get a hundred grand. That's the short answer. Ah, this guy, go. that's the short answer. This guy wanted the hundred grand. You know, this guy was methodical and you could see that the way he staged it with the organizational skills and setting it up so he'd get the insurance policy and getting her to go along with him. Extremely manipulative by again getting her to go along with him, but getting his minions to go along with them. But even though he was methodical, organized and manipulative guess what he was also stupid absolutely stupid the, the army got it right you see how how he was in the dummy base something was wrong with this guy he wasn't that smart john he wasn't that smart he left out a lot of little small details you know then uh, i guess that's why he wasn't um, you know on the top line of the uh, infantry of any of these of any sorts he was mopping floors on the barracks I don't know why they keep these people or how we even got in. I still, I would love to know this guy's records as we say every week. If we only knew more about his history, but, um, he, he changed notably the change came after he married Jessica. That's when the, the demon came out of this guy. And, um, and talk about methodical, but this poor woman and the family. And we, uh, we always send, send our condolences out to them. We get involved with these monsters. And if you have doubts about somebody in your, your daughter or your son's life that just don't seem right, you really got to stick with that. What do you say about that, John? Yeah. I mean, there's no question about it. You know, you know what this guy, this guy also did is he had his underlings in the Federation, his minions, as you put it earlier, uh, swear an oath. Never to talk about or deceive their commanding officers. Now he happened right. to be he happened to be the commanding officer. Oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. you know, he did this in advance. He planned this out in advance, okay? Uh that that you know he could never be deceived. And the reason for that, the reason for planning that out was because if they did get caught that nobody would squeal on him. But he got fooled, didn't he, Leo? They did you know, yeah, well Chris Baber, he was the accomplice. He was eighteen years old at the time. Christopher Baber. He started singing like a canary when the cops brought him in. So it didn't take long for them you know, for them to put two and two together and um you know and make this guy uh uh, guilty for what he did. We gotta take a break, but, uh, we'll finish this up when we get back and we got something really other big news to talk about after that. See you soon. Great. By the year 2020, depression will be the world's second highest diagnosed medical condition in the world following heart disease. 
Millions of people are suffering with depression and sadness. People ask, is depression treatable? What's causing this epidemic and what can we do about it? Psychotherapist Leo J. Battenhausen's book, Defeating Depression, The Calm and Sense Way to Find Happiness and Satisfaction, has helped thousands of people reclaim their lives. He's a licensed clinical social worker and clinical alcohol and drug counsellor. Leo J. Battenhausen shows people how to identify, address and overcome common misconceptions about life that cause many to live in misery. The book that has a five-star rating on Amazon.com is filled with priceless information to quickly bring the reader into a brighter frame of mind and assist in enjoying life to its fullest. Defeating Depression, the common sense way to find happiness and satisfaction by Leo J. Battenhausen. Available at select bookstores, Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. It will change your life. Extra Healthcare Services was founded in 1991 by Executive Director John Kelly. Our outpatient drug and alcohol counseling centers provide an individualized approach to treatment with a strong emphasis on building self-esteem in our clients and helping empower them to take effective control of their lives. Our program has had an extremely high success rate because our board-certified and licensed counselors and psychologists design a program just for you or your family member to help deal with alcohol and drug abuse. We specialize in addictive illness in both adults and adolescents. Our entire team is committed to helping you or a family member become healthy. Our alcohol and drug abuse counseling centers are located in Middlesex, Monmouth, and Union Counties with both day and evening appointments available. Call 732-721-3835 or email us at info at extracarehealth.com. That's 732-721-3835 or info at extracarehealth.com. Bringing you the truth behind crimes today. You're listening to Crime and Reason on TalkZone.com. Back to John Kelly and Leo Badenhausen. Welcome back. And uh, we're just finishing up uh, the Jeremy Myers case. The upshot of it was, uh, John, I think he got 41 years. And uh, Christopher Baber got uh, 10 years as an accomplice. 41 years seems very short to me, but I don't know how Washington works. Yeah, and plus, you know... Uh you know, the other guy only got 10 years because he cooperated with authorities. Uh, the real interesting piece to me is how this guy was just able, uh, not being too bright, to manipulate all these people, including his wife, and get these people to follow him. See, this is what's scary. Well, it is scary. Somebody, somebody, that's not going to be a brain surgeon anytime soon, you know, can turn around and create a cult. And he and he created it. He created it right under the government's nose in the United States Army. True. I mean, it's it's it's, uh, you know, it's very, very uh, bizarre in one way. It's very interesting in another. And it's it's extremely uh, strange and pathetic. You know, that something like this uh, could take place. But these guys are out there, as you've written about in your book. I mean, you know, we're seeing more and more of this pathological narcissism. Right. And that's exactly what he is. And uh, he will be doing a long time in, in his cell, maybe thinking about this. But we have an even more bizarre case, I think, or scarier case in, in some respects, I guess. Is that a better way to put it? Who we got here, John? Talk about some 
Jason Eric Massey? Yeah, we're talking about Jason Eric Massey. He was executed in Huntsville, Texas, April 3rd, 2001. He was arrested for a double murder in 1993 uh, and then sentenced to death. And he was uh, on death row in Texas for only eight years. Now, that takes me a little bit by surprise because usually people uh, that are sentenced to death and uh end up on death row, really have a lot of appeals, and those appeals can stretch over many, many, many years. I mean, I've seen people on death row uh, for 20 years, over 20 years. I mean, you're talking at an average cost of between 6 and $8 million in legal fees yep, yeah, as they continue to appeal. But this guy here is a, it's, it, it's a very... Sad case in a way, you and I being therapists, um, but also a a case where you know uh, justice was delivered because this this guy grew up in a severely severely abusive, physically abusive, uh, alcoholic and drug addicted family. His father was an alcoholic and his mother was a drug addict, right, and they yeah. uh, they really. Uh, abused this kid growing up. Uh, he had a uh, lengthy criminal record for stalking and torturing animals. This guy would actually stalk and torture animals. Oh. What he's what he was doing there, as we know, most of these serial killers, and I'll call him a budding serial killer because uh, they got him right after his uh, what they think were his first two murders. Um, but you know, this guy was practicing. You know, they they start off learning how to kill smaller things and learning how to stalk smaller things, smaller animals usually, that's where animal torture comes in with serial killers. And what they're doing is they're just working their way up and perfecting their craft so that they can kill bigger animals and uh, stalk and kill human beings. Yeah, it's really, really sick. Well, what I know about this guy is... um. You know, he he grew up right. He had, I know he had. I don't know how involved his father was, but the mother would leave him in the car when she went inside to the party and pubs and clubs and and drink. Um, you know, and after uh, after I think when he was two years old, she got pregnant again and gave birth to his sister. And now she then at that point she left the both of them in the car, you mm-hmm. know, to fend for themselves. She'd beat them with a wooden pallet or a belt, paddle mm-hmm. or you know belt, and um. She hid food in her room from them. If, if, if they tried to sneak in to get the food, she'd beat them senselessly. You know, and what I heard, um, by the time he was nine, he was already moving from, you know, the role of being the, the beaten, vi- the victim to the victimizer. You know, he, he restrained a young boy and, and whipped him with a tree branch when he was nine years old. Mm-hmm. You know, and, he, and he was becoming a sexual sadist at that time. Yeah, you could see the rage. You know, mm-hmm. you can see the internalized rage coming out. And, uh, you know, uh, we know that not everybody that gets abused becomes a serial killer, but pretty much every serial killer has been abused. And, of course, yep. uh, you know, that I've been saying that forever. Um, but you start to see this anger and internalized volcanic rage coming out, starting to come out in childhood. And it can be with animals. It can be uh, projected against other uh, younger kids. And this guy definitely got off on inflicting pain 
and horror. Uh, I mean, he loved to torture uh, not only animals, but as he got older, he loved to uh, focus and fantasize about torturing uh, girls. I mean, this yeah. guy even had a journal. He even had a journal that he kept, and he kept it out in the woods with him, where he also kept, you know, the heads uh, and various animals that he killed and tortured. He kept them all as trophies, various uh, skeletal remains, and he and he had a uh, he had a journal out there uh, in which yeah. he detailed. His fantasies and his fantasies, you know, we know are wishes. This is what he wants to become. And, you know, this is this is not unlike many, many serial killers. Many serial killers will record their deeds, their heinous deeds. I mean, they will keep journals. Uh, and the reason for that is so they can go back and read about it and relive the fantasy of their uh, conquest and uh, killing. Uh, but this yeah. guy started keeping journals before he even started killing. Uh, he uh, was projecting uh, and writing about his fantasies, uh, about various girls and what he wanted to do with them. Um, you know, his uh, desire to be a serial killer, his... Uh, his, uh, you know, uh, hero was Charlie Manson. I mean, this guy's goal at a very young age was to become a serial killer. Yeah, and I know he did make a lot of mention in that. But let's talk about this crime. He, uh, he, we, all the one, two murders we know of that he did, like you said earlier. You know, it's July 29th, 1993, when um, the, the police found the two bodies in a field. Uh, this was in um, Teleco. County, Texas, or Ellis County, Texas. The first body was a nude female. She, her head had been, her head and hands had been cut off, John, and uh, her nipples had also been cut off. She was shot in the back, from what they could see, and parts of her body were very mutilated, even around the genital areas, okay, yep. and the legs. And then they found another victim, a young boy, um, a few yards away or something. It looks like. Uh, uh, he, uh, he was identified as a Brian King. They found an ID, a library card or something on his body. Now, these two were brother and sister. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, the, the girl, um, stepsister, her, yeah. Stepsister, correct. He somehow knew her and he had told somebody or written something about wanting her terribly sexy, wanting her, um, he concocted a plan to get them into the car. They, he, he helped sneak her out at like midnight, her and the brother into his car. And apparently he killed the brother and I think he shot the brother in the head and pushed him off a bridge. And then he did whatever he did to her. But there was no sign of sexual attack, John, except for what he did around with the nipples and, and cutting. He cut the nipples off and uh, and mutilated um, around the genital area. You know, and the FBI, which was very interesting, they said that they didn't they didn't call this uh, a sexual crime. It baffled the FBI professionals because they said it was not a sexual crime because no sex was had. What, what do you, what do you say to that? Well, I mean, well, that was back. That was back in 1993. Yeah. I mean, today he would be considered a, a sexual uh, excitement kind of killer. I mean, he got his his sexual excitement from dismembering her. 
I mean, that's what was really uh, floating his boat. In fact, he had told a friend of his long before he killed this girl or killed her brother that he got extremely excited and had major adrenaline rushes whenever he carved up or chopped up an animal. That's like so sick. Yeah, and what it surrounds is complete control. Now, if you notice, he doesn't chop the brother up. See, that's not part of his fantasy. Okay, it's not part of fantasy. Mm-hmm. He he lets the brother have it twice in the head with a twenty five automatic pistol, right? And and yeah. and and that's the end of him. Twenty five caliber, two shots in the back of the head, like a execution style. That's the end of him. Then the focus goes on the girl. Well, he shoots her in the back to disable her right off the hop. Yeah. Now, I don't know if that killed her or not. Then he goes to work chopping her up. Okay, and then he severs. You know, the genitalia, he severs the head, he severs her arms, you know, and all the while, this is orgasmic to this guy. Believe it or not, this is how this guy gets off. Okay. This is how he gets off. He doesn't, he doesn't have to have sex with the person, uh, that we would consider some kind of normal or even maybe, uh, uh, a, a an abnormal sexual situation. I mean, this is abnormal, 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 gross sexual conduct because, mm-hmm. you know, this guy is getting off to do slicing and dicing. I mean, it, this, this is what he's getting off to, and he has a history of it. This is he what does. he's done. Mm-hmm. This is what he's done with all these animals. This is what he's written about. This is what he's journaled, okay? In fact... You know, uh, he had sent letters to his teacher. We had talked about this a little bit, you know, where uh, he was sending his uh, teacher uh, letters and phone calls, you know, he had made to her and telling her about how he, he wanted to, uh, you know, kill women and chop them up. And he was just killing animals and chopping them up. He was also, he had said to have one of the, he wanted to begin a quote unquote sacred, a sacred journey. As a serial killer, right? Okay? And he said right. he wanted to grab society. This is by, this is his words: grab society by the throat, shake them with terror until they're awake and realize what's up, so they will remember who I am, when and why I came their way. He said, and he wrote that he anticipated that he would become a murder machine. His journals became increasingly violent and set goals for vast numbers of killings. Wow. Yeah. What? Yeah. You know, now, now, you're going to say this is because he grew up of a, with a life of abuse as a child. I have well, a problem with that, John. Well, I, see, I know what a, you say. Every abuse, every serial murder comes, it has been abused as a child, but not all abused children become serial killers. I get absolutely. that. Absolutely. There's been, there was a crisscross here in this guy's wiring somewhere. Somewhere in this dysfunctional family, this guy got violence and sex rewired or wired into his brain. Guaranteed. Abuse. He was reportedly abused, John. Okay, that might make a difference. I, I know a, a male abused him when he was a child once sexually. I don't know what that, how that can uh, fit into this, but I'm sure it does somehow. 
yeah, pleasure and pain somehow got into this guy's psyche and rewired his brain. But also, you know, we can't rule out genetics. We cannot rule out genetics. Genetics can always play a big role. So if you're, if you're uh, genetically predisposed and then you grow up in an alcoholic, uh, drug addicted, extremely abusive family, I mean, look out. And this, you know, the sad part about this too is, you know, by him sending letters to the teacher and everything else, see, to me, that could have been a plea for help. Hey, I, I'm going crazy. I mean, he's a younger kid. Hey, yeah, I'm going crazy. Yeah. I'm in torment. You know, unconsciously, he's sending this woman letters that eventually got him an evaluation with the psychiatrist, right? Yeah, he so, did. They found untreatable, okay? This is what every psychiatrist that's ever met with him said. He's got antisocial personality disorder and is completely untreatable. Just FYI, which is very interesting. Yeah. No, yeah, no yeah. hope for him. So, right. Was it a call for help? I, I, I don't know. It's, it could very well be. He was arrested and incarcerated once before, though, for I think it was animal abuse before all this started. They did lock him up for that once. And I think that's when, um, evaluators and, and psychologists and psychiatrists got involved with these things. And especially, yeah, he was in Dallas psychiatric intensive care unit at one point as well. So he's got some kind of history of that mental illness, but. You know, gene factor, John, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I usually agree with you 100%, but I have a problem with that, too. We don't have any proof of that, do we? Is there no, any, do you see, know any serial killers? Do you know any serial killers that have had children that became serial killers? You know, I think there might be one or two, but here's the bottom line. You never, you just don't know. You can't say it's genetic. You can't say it's environmental. You can't say it's social. But what it seems to be is a coming together of different dynamics that cause the perfect storm, the perfect horrific storm. That it just seems mm. to be that way. Well, it seems to me these these guys get short short the short end of the stick growing up. Okay, I get it. It's horrible. No child deserves to be neglected and abused the way this kid was, or any kid should be. But it seems like these these types of criminals you want to take out their rage and anger towards who belongs to their family or whoever hurt them against society. You know what is this? This poor girl and her brother had nothing to do with him not having food at night when he was a kid. But you know how does that shift over? These guys want to go for blood for anybody and everybody to to prove who they are. You know, so they'll kill innocent people and not think anything of it. It's it's fascinating, but it's also very, very disturbing. Very and disturbing because you talk about society, but he he comes right out and says he wants to be a scourge yeah. that society will never forget. Yeah, and he came right out with that, and he wants to be somebody. And I, I think that's very common among serial killers too, isn't it? You would know better than me. Isn't oh, that they yeah. want to be somebody? They want they want to leave their mark. They want to be famous. Right. Very, they want to be, they want to be infamous in, uh, you know, societal history. I mean, they just, they just want to be known for their antisocial behavior. I mean, they just truly want to know and want to be known for bringing pain and torment 
to families and people all across uh, the country, as many as they can. It, I get it. But, they, I mean, yeah, something you talked about, crisscrossing of wires, and I don't know. I think it's pure evil, and I'll stick with that because I just cannot understand any other way that uh, to, to say this guy can't be rehabilitated doesn't surprise me. I, I think most narcissists and, and antisocial personality disorders will never be rehabilitated, and they don't have it in them. They don't really believe they did anything wrong. They have no remorse. That's just part of what they are, most like a demon. Demons don't have any belief in any – they don't have any remorse. They're all about evil. So, and when I mean, you talk about when you talk about evil, you can see the evil energy expressed by this guy here. This absolutely. guy, this this guy was stalking cows and killing them. He was stalking cats and killing them. He was stalking dogs. Okay, I mean it, it was just unbelievable. In fact, one time when he got arrested, they found him in a car with a rope around a cat's neck. And he also had some marijuana in the car. So I mean, we've got a little bit of drugs also. I'm well, talking about of a drugs. lot with this guy, but uh, he was I, maybe I missed that. What was his drug of choice? I didn't get that. That I don't know. But they just, I just saw research that said he has a, a history. He went right. He had been drinking and uh, heavily and drugging heavily. Not sure quite what it was he was using, but um, let the we got to take a short break again. But we want to finish this up when we come back. Please stick around, folks. We'll be right yeah, back. Yeah, it's vast, fascinating ending. We are raising a generation of techno-savvy and social media-obsessed kids. There's a lack of real human connection and concern for our fellow man. Social Side, How America is Loving Itself to Death by licensed clinical social worker Leo J. Battenhausen explores the new generation of young people and how they are turning into godless people with narcissistic and psychopathic tendencies. Americans have become so obsessed with themselves that their country's once great bedrock of dignity and respect is crumbling from underneath us right before our eyes. Isn't it time that we regained our confidence in spirituality and the existence of a higher power? This and so much more is explored in the book Social Side, How America is Loving Itself to Death by licensed clinical social worker Leo J. Battenhausen. Social Side is available on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, FaithBooksAndMore.com, and SocialSideInfo.com. Social Side, How America is Loving Itself to Death by Leo J. Battenhausen. Welcome back to Crime and Reason on TalkZone.com. Here are your hosts, John Kelly and Leo Battenhausen. Hi, everybody. We're back. John Kelly here with Leo Leo. Battenhausen. You know, Leo, the other part of this that I wanted to bring up was he has such a classic pattern. We have the torturing of animals, which we know lots of times is in the childhood of serial killers, most of the time probably. We also have robbery. You know, he was involved in an armed robbery. I think that's probably what you were talking about when he got arrested yeah. earlier. Yeah, okay. Right. And then we have arson. I mean, this guy was also an arsonist. I didn't so, know that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the bottom line is you have all these different things that are combined, and probably that's why the psychiatrist and the people in the institution said, whoa, there's no way you're going to be able to cure this guy. You know, uh, 
he armed a uh, he he was um, uh, armed when he robbed a fast food restaurant. That's what his armed robbery was about, you know. But getting back to the teacher, you know, and and to his school days, you know, it wasn't only the teacher that he sent letters to and called and told her about these horrific fantasies he was having. But it was also one of his classmates. I mean, he actually killed his classmate's dog. She was a female. And he smeared the dog's blood on her car. Okay, So, I mean, this guy is sending out all these signals and warning signs at a very early age. And, you know, I mean, I mean, yeah. I, I, I just have to think about, you know, I, 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 I believe he couldn't be helped. I truly believe that. I truly believed he needed to be locked away for the rest of his life. But it, it just bothers me that I, I don't think there was enough of a, uh, an intervention early on. I mean, I, I don't think this guy could have went off to a uh, sanitarium or an asylum and, right. no, uh, way. no and, way. And, and spent 10 years and then got out and would have been better on medication. I, I don't think, I think, I think the professionals were right here. There's no way, uh, he could have been cured. And, uh, you know, and, uh, and unfortunately, he ended up in a hellious place because, see, I'm very familiar with death row in Huntsville, Texas, where uh-huh. he was executed because I was there. Okay. I was in Huntsville. And I got to tell you, to get to Huntsville, you have to drive around these various country roads, and you're seemingly uh, in in nowhere land. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this big prison presents itself with these big, gigantic electronic gates. And then you have a whole bunch of people, guards, up in towers with high-power rifles, and they're guarding all these mm-hmm. people on death row uh, and making sure nobody escapes and nobody breaks in to help them escape. I mean, because there are a lot of people on death row in Texas. I was there to interview Henry Lee Lucas. Uh, that was more like, you know, 95, 96. That was a couple well, of years long, after yeah, this. Not, not long after not long after I was there that uh, this fellow was executed. Um, but I got to so tell you. He was there, John. He was yeah, there. he was there. He was, he was there. there. I mean, he was there because that's right. He wasn't executed till 2001. Right. That's right. He's, he was still there. He was still yeah. there. I mean, the, the worst of the worst are uh, incarcerated there. You know, I just wonder, you know, uh, you know, how this guy thought. He was going to get away with this crime. I, you know, getting back to the girl that he lured out that night, you know, she had actually met him earlier, which you mentioned, but mm-hmm. she had told him she'd like to sneak out some night and be with him. Oh, well, I guess her plan was, I'll sneak out and be with him and to check him out to make sure he's all right. I'll bring my brother with me. Little did they realize that both of them were stepping into the demon's car and she wasn't coming home that night. He had you know his what? own plans for them. 
What else? Yeah, the, that sounds very logical and probably on the money. But you know, he that diary what we keep talking about. He had wrote in there that he fantasized um, that he wanted to decapitate a girl and have sex in her neck. Okay? Exactly. Yeah, so yeah. maybe he he might have done that to this girl. Yeah. And that's yeah. why they didnn't find any sexual. Oh, that's so sick! But that's why they found no sign of sexual assault. The sexual assault was on her neck, and they they found the head eventually. I think it was in a box with other animal bones or something. But they didn't check for you know who would look at a neck for sex. I mean, you know, it's just really really disturbing to think. Well, see, that's that's how he got off. And you're right. He talked yeah. about having sex with the neck. And back in '93, you know, when this crime took place. I mean, you know, we weren't advanced in the profiling process. Right. Well, he you was know, we found. We really didn't yeah. know what made, made a lot of these guys tick. Well, what gave him away was, and I give them a lot of credit back then, forensic evidence from the girl's hair. See, somebody called in the police and said they saw him cleaning out his car at a car wash. So mm-hmm. they, um, the cops went to that vacuum cleaner that he was using and found um, a copy of his pay stub. From a Kentucky Fried Chicken, they found uh, some other article that uh, somehow identified him, and they put two and two together. And they found that the hairs from the girl matched the hairs that were found in his trunk, the trunk of the car, or this back seat of the car. There's also blood stains on the car of some sort. So, you know, it, I guess back then he didn't really have to realize, think about forensic evidence, um, you know, being so effective. But it was, and thank thank God because who knows how many other necks this guy would have had sex with and murdered. Oh, this guy, this guy was a budding serial killer. He was just getting started. I mean, this guy was just getting started. If if he could perfect his craft, look out. I mean, this guy would have left a lot of bodies and a lot of families, you know, sobbing and uh, feeling feeling pretty uh, pretty terrible because, um, you know, these guys don't stop. They got this guy at a pretty young age. And right yeah. off the hop, he killed two people. You know, he didn't just kill one girl and mutilate her. He killed her brother first, then killed her and mutilated her. So, I mean, he killed two people right off the hop his first time out, you know, with his focus of wanting to be a serial killer. So this guy was definitely on his way. You know, when you think about serial killers, you say, well, what kind of books do they read? You know what? Serial killers read books about serial killers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's how they well, learn. They learn what to do, what not to do. They try and uh, perfect their craft. And at the same time, they're getting off on the power to control and the torture uh, that they're reading about that's being perpetrated on uh, mostly women, sad to say. Yeah, on, you know. They, yeah, they learn their craft from the from the best of the best, I guess, huh? You know? Well, I read about it, sure. Mm-hmm. Unreal. Why, you know, why do you think he, his, his death came so quickly? Do you, do you think he didn't bother with appeals? Well, we don't really know, do we? Or did the, you know, the, 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 the appellate appeals courts just say there's no way, you know, they probably just kept shooting this down left and right with this history of not being able to be rehabilitated. Why are we going to keep him alive for another, you know, 80 years? Yeah, they could have. I have to believe that had something to do with it. Yeah, you're right. And it could have been just that, that his appeals ran out that quickly and nobody wanted to put an effort into this guy. Because to be honest with you, you know, you call them a demon. You said it's pure evil. You know something? They wrote a book on this guy. I think the name of it was Pure Evil. And I think they did a, a, a television show or a movie on him. They called it Pure Evil. 
Is that right? Yeah. I didn't, wasn't aware yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah. There's there, there's a book out there on this guy called Pure Evil. And and so that could have been it, that they just ran through his appeals real quickly. The other part of it is something you mentioned earlier. When he was in jail, he found God, and he said that he's going to dance on the gold uh, floors of heaven or something. How did he say that? Yeah, well, I'll tell you. He said these were his last words, you know, before uh, before the execution took place. You know, where did I put that? I have it in verbatim what he said. I don't want to read the whole thing, but the last part of it was he then talked about how God has used this to change my life and proclaim Jesus as Lord. In closing, he said, tonight I dance on the streets of gold. Let those without sin cast the first stone. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And- yeah. How and narcissistic he- can you get? No, that's pretty narcissistic. You know, the, 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 you still you can set, you can hear the hatred in that statement. Yeah, and but, and from a, from a Satan worshiper. Yeah. Yes, yeah, and you know, the pathologist at the time said that he had never seen a mutilated a mutilation as bad as that in his twenty five years on the job. He said he saw so much hatred and violence and um, and I didn't say evil, but so much hatred and violence in that way he mutilated that girl. You know, for everybody that touched this case said the same thing about him. He was just no good. Pure evil, as you put it. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's where he's at. And, uh, well, I, I, don't, I don't believe he's dancing on any golden floors in, in heaven. He may be, uh, roasting marshmallows in a deep, <laughs> deep, deep heat with his real hero. Um, but really, really gripping case and, Stories like this just don't come around every day, thank goodness. But this one we gotta know, and I, I have a hard time, like we said, believing it's family, uh, family problems that can cause this. I just, how many nine, nine-year-olds do we know that would do such a thing? Yeah, it's it's just unbelievable. You know, you say, how do you build a perfect monster? Yeah. You know, how do you take a child and turn him into the perfect monster and killing machine and you know, I, I, there's there's different ingredients that have to go into it, um, and and um, you know sometimes, like I said, you just get that uh, you know perfect storm of uh, rage and um, you know calculated uh, murder. No. Well, next week, John and I are going to be presenting two very very famous Jersey. Uh, serial killers. Uh, we're going to do a, it's a two-part series, so we want you to be in, involved in that. These are probably crimes you haven't heard much about, but John and I'd have, and we're tearing them apart and uh, breaking them down for you, and we're going to start with them next week. Yeah, I can't so. wait to get into these two, especially because they're from Jersey, and uh, you know, really not a whole lot of publicity on them, and uh, there should have been. Yeah, there should have been. Why there's not, we don't know, but you're going to get it from us. So thank you all for listening again. Appreciate you. And we'll see you in a week. Have a great time and a great weekend. Be safe out there.